can you tell me what you do on the sidewalk when we're walking and you push me to one side? What are you avoiding? Okay. Well, I'm certain that I wouldn't necessarily push you, but I may give you a loving nap. This is Liz Hillegas, my mom. Because I really don't like to walk on top of open slats or grates where you can see that there's something below what you're walking on. Can you tell me why? Yeah, I can. Are you sure you want to hear the story? Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, it all goes back to my childhood. And you know, grew up on the farm, right? So my mom grew grew up on a dairy and hog farm in Owatonna, Minnesota. She was the 10th of 12 children. When my mom was five, she helped build a finishing house for the pigs. It's a rectangular metal shed with a huge pit in the middle that's covered by cement slats. A finishing house is meant to do what it says it does. They're going to be finishing to go to market. So their main job, eat, sleep, get big, you know, have a happy life kind of thing, right? Now, the cement slats are about one to two inches apart. And the reason that they're over this eight foot deep pit is, well... You would take the big old squeegee scraper and you would push the poop over the slats and the poop goes down and it falls into the pit. And my mom is terrified of this barn. Because when I was little, I was really little. I was a petite little thing. And I was like the skinniest kid in our family. I'm probably a, you know, dripping wet 45-pound child, but with the pigs and the other things, you could feel them moving. And I swore, you know, swore to God, I was going to end up down in that pit. And my mom's siblings didn't help. They would tell her these stories that were sometimes true, of pigs falling down into the pit, which she would conflate with other fears. Yeah, where it was, were the pigs falling in or were the people falling in um, and drowning, right? Because ultimately what would happen with the pigs is that they would drown. My mom never fell in, but this fear of walking over grades has stuck with her throughout her life. Now, she didn't pass this fear of what's below onto me. If anything, she made me want to look down into the grates to see what she was so scared of. So when I moved to New York, I became fascinated with the different ways that we can peek and see what's beneath us. The subway, the sewers, and manholes. And when I was doing research about this, I stumbled across a guy who thought of manholes as portals. You know, we're fascinated by the idea of an underworld. This is Eddie Heathcote, an architecture and design critic for the Financial Times. You know, I don't mean that necessarily in the kind of biblical sense, but in the idea that there is this nether region of the city that we don't quite understand. I mean, New York, has this fantastically symbolic uh, moment where the steam, you know, clouds up through the vents 
uh, which which I always found a kind of a, a very very exciting idea. And you know, it's a very prosaic technology, the, the, you know, the, the the steam from the, the the heating stations. But at the same time, there is an idea that there is this kind of heated geyser system uh, underneath our feet, which you know it, it implies a kind of a, an amount of pressure and of heat, and there is a kind of um, a kind of hellish aspect to it, the darkness, the sewage, the heat, the, the kind of uh, the steam. And of course, the sewage that the, the, you know, so in a way that, that beneath there is the city's, you know, I think I described it as the viscera, but the, but the veins, you know, in terms of the electrical systems and the cabling, the guts in the in the sewage and the piping and the waterworks and everything else. So there is a there is a kind of if you if we imagine the the sidewalk and the, and the road surface as a membrane that's a kind of skin and below that it's containing the whole kind of uh, physical system which allows the city to operate. Unless we're purposely looking down or if we're listening for the soft dun dun of a car driving over the hollow hole in the road we walk past these portals every day without noticing. And so manhole covers become this quiet reminder of the fact that we don't know how the city works. We're kind of at the one at one time oblivious to them. They've become invisible because we're so used to them. But if we're ever standing at a bus stop or waiting for a cab or standing to wait you know, across the road and we look down, then suddenly we find them quite compelling, actually. And I think uh, we become aware of our ignorance of the way the city works. There's a manhole cover about 15 steps from my front door. The cover is circular with 12 spokes. In between each spoke, there's a letter and the letters spell out Manhattan DPW. The minimal information that is transmitted, you know, through the graphic motive of these uh, covers can make it quite tantalizing in a way so I, I i like i very much like the new york city sewer uh covers because they they are absolutely kind of brutally honest this is it that's everything all the information you need is there but occasionally you do see you see something like danger written on and that you of course being human beings the first thing we think oh i wonder what's in there so the kind of the, the more they try to repel the more they compel now when i was looking at the manhole cover in fact, when I was standing on top of the cover, I didn't have a desire to lift it up and go down into the manhole. However, I was interested in what it meant that I was standing on this doorway that separated me from everything that was down there. I mean, these covers represent this small human-sized space in which one person could move between worlds. and. They're everywhere. There are at least seven manholes on my one block street. It's like a kind of, I think all of these things in a way, they're a bit like, you know, if I always think of everything in literary terms, but they're kind of like punctuation marks in the city, full stops, commas, you know, <laughs> colons. They kind of, you know, they, they, you can read, you can read a city without them, but they make a lot more sense once you put them in. The sentence makes a lot more sense once you put them in. So... I want to spend a minute and think about these covers in particular. Manhole covers are usually embossed with raised letters, words, or initials. Oftentimes, it'll be from the company or department that placed them there. 
hence Manhattan DPW. There are sometimes intricate patterns woven in and out of the letters that create these beautiful designs that almost feel magical. Those letters can look more like a complex puzzle or spell, which, once solved, will unlock the portal's secrets. They almost feel like a cap on the magic underneath, which, once they're removed, anything could crawl out. And I mean anything. Which brings me to the alligators and the former Manhattan Borough historian, Mike Michonne. So uh, the first thing I think that should be said is that I'm a native New Yorker. So I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I've lived here my whole life. And naturally, when you're a native New Yorker, certainly of a certain age like I am, you get told that uh, there is a myth, an urban legend, some believe it true, some think it's not true, about alligators living in the New York City sewer system. February 9th is Alligator in the Sewers Day. This is an actual day, and it was proposed by Mike. He chose February 9th because it's the day of a verified alligator sighting, as in confirmed by many newspapers. It also happens to be the most popular alligator sighting. If anybody knows anything about alligators in the sewers, they'd know about the East Harlem boys who tried to lasso an alligator out of the sewers with a clothesline. Yeah. Then there was another account around this time uh, about a woman who was sent a baby alligator by her relatives down in Florida and she lived in Queens and she kept it in her bathtub. And eventually now alligators, unlike some animals, which will actually sort of uh, limit their growth based on their surroundings, like goldfish, right? Uh, alligators won't do that. <laughs> they'll just keep, as long as they're alive and as long as you keep feeding them, they'll keep growing. And so eventually the thing became too big for her. And so uh, to try to figure out what to do, she went down to the courthouse to talk to the court clerk to see what the city would do for her. And I, I, the trail goes cold after that. Mike has done a lot of research about the sewer gators. And I mean a lot. And before I go any further, I will be mentioning animal death. So if you need to put this down, now's the time to do so. You can pick it back up at the 12 minute mark. The February 9th sighting the one where the boys tried to lasso an eight-foot alligator out of a sewer, it didn't end well for the alligator. They killed it, and it was put on display in a convenience shop before being disposed of. But its story doesn't end there. So uh, according to an account in the Brooklyn Eagle, a week subsequent to this, uh, apparently some sanitation workers cut off some pieces of alligator hide before they incinerated or dumped the main body of the alligator, the main carcass of the alligator. So uh, it is kind of my uh, uh, holy grail uh, to perhaps find a piece of this alligator, which may exist in some attic someplace or basement, right, that some some person has kept from their great-great-grandfather, not quite knowing what the heck this piece of alligator skin is all about, but maybe some, some attic in Brooklyn somewhere has an actual piece of the original New York City sewer alligator. 
that's my that's my quest, my dream. I'm wondering, do you think that you could talk at all about why the sewers of New York might be such a great birthplace for this type of urban legend? Like, what is the, what is it about the sewers that is so interesting? <laughs> right. Well, um, I mean, they're very mysterious and they're very extensive, you know? I mean, when you think about how, so New York City is 300 square miles in size and basically under all of it are these sewers, right? I'm, I'm presuming as literally as extensive as the streets are, right? And just think of all the tens of thousands of miles of streets uh, in the city. And it's dark, so things can be hiding in the corners or under the water or around the edges, right? Um, so it's a, it's a perfect place of mystery, right? But at the same time, it's accessible in the sense that everybody sees the sewers, right? Everybody passes the sewers. Nobody goes down in the sewers, but they're there. So it's this untouchable, but nonetheless readily accessible, mysterious place. His answer really reminded me of my conversation with Eddie. New York is a city of mystery. It's a city where we are forced to reckon with the underworld all the time. It's a city of trap doors. It is dangerous to walk the sidewalks of New York um, because of the amount that you can fall, fall mm. underneath. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But in um, a way, all those things, so that danger is part of what keeps the city alive. So I think if it wasn't for that, we'd all be looking at our cell phones all the time. But you can't, you have to cross the road, you have to stop falling into something, stop bumping into each other, you know. So that, so in a way, all of those things, which are, you know, bonanzas for personal injury uh, lawyers, <laughs> are actually what keeps us, it keeps us alive in the city. They, they allow us to, to, to move through it and, and we have to keep a certain awareness and that awareness allows us to, to read the city in a, in, a, in, a, in a kind of more interesting way, I think. But I think I have a, a special aversion to what would otherwise be ground or what you feel like is ground, should be ground, but there's something going on underneath that you might fall in. A special thanks to Eddie Heathcote, Mike Michonne, and of course, my mom. This is Sarah Hillegas. See you in the sewers. <laughs>